Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens for more information about Catalysis. Welcome back to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariahazi. Today, we're joined by Mike Radke, who's a member of our Catalysis faculty to talk about effective coaching and experimentation in problem solving. Mike will also be co-teaching a pre-summit workshop on this topic with Jill Menzel. To learn more about their workshop and others, go to createvalue.org summit. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Peter. You know, to to get you warmed up to the listeners so they hear about, tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a clinician by background. I'm a physical therapist and I got into leadership fairly early in my career uh, at uh, ThetaCare uh, Health System, Northeastern Wisconsin. And through that process, really uh, was a part of the beginnings of where we dove into our lean journey. Uh, so through that, I've been a leader uh, trying to support improvements, uh, been in the improvement department for several years, supporting other areas. I ended my time, uh, there as the director of diagnostic imaging and the VP of operations. And for the last about six years, I've been supporting organizations with their improvement and, uh, leadership journeys through, uh, coaching and support in a number of ways. Wow, that's great. So, you know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the term, but to kind of set the foundation, can you give us a definition of the A3 thinking scientific problem solving framework to set up the rest of the conversation? Yeah, sure, Peter. So I think of A3 thinking as both a technical and a social process around problem solving. So, so the technical part is more familiar. It's the uh, first trying to understand what the problem is before we jump to solutions. So it's understanding uh, what is the background, what's the current condition, how would we really articulate the problem, what are we trying to achieve, what uh, is our analysis of the problem, potentially what are some of the root causes to the problem that lead us to what we're going to experiment with, what we're going to try, our countermeasures, uh, our plan, follow-up, measurement, uh, you know, this is well-framed in a lot of books. One of my favorites is Managing to Learn by John Shook. But this scientific thinking approach, especially when we talk in healthcare, is the scientific thinking process that uh, clinicians use every day. Uh, so very familiar, but, you know, that's the technical process of A3 thinking. But also there's this social side of problem solving, of A3 thinking, which is about being clear about what your thinking is, uh, often drafting that on an A3 and 11 by 17 sheet of paper, getting your thoughts organized, and then telling a story so you can share with others, gain insight from them, engage them, and really collaborative, collaboratively work with them on understanding the problem together, uh, proceeding to address the problems through cycles of experimentation, studying, and adjusting. 
I love that social piece because many times it's forgotten, right? It becomes very much a technical conversation of I need to do the first three boxes or whatever the case may be. But it also is a framework for how you interact in trying to solve and address this problem with others and, and clarify your thinking. I think that's a huge part of this. Yeah, and I think all of us could probably reflect back on times when we were working through problem solving. And from a technical standpoint, we probably could think back to times when we feel like how we nailed it. I mean, really understood the problem and understood what some of the, the gaps in our processes were, but still were unsuccessful in uh, really executing on achieving our goals. And more often than not, I think what we find is that uh, some of those, uh, let's say failures, for example, are due to the fact that we didn't really appreciate the social side of uh, how we engage other people. The, all the thinking was ours as the leaders and it wasn't the thinking of the people who are really doing the work who frankly understand the processes and the problem much better than we do. And they're the ones best suited to come up with what would be the right countermeasures and experiments and reflection on that? Uh, so yeah, let's try and emphasize the fact that there's that technical side, which uh, is really important that we think scientifically, but at the same time that we appreciate the social, we pre appreciate the people, because uh, ultimately we're in a people business and the processes that people perform uh, are really key to uh, getting to the outcomes that we want. That that's great. So so let's talk about it. if everybody tends to feel that, you know, this is a great process, both now socially as well as technically. Can you can you set the stage or give us an idea of some of the struggles you see organizations that lead them to abandon this framework? Because it, it takes diligence and discipline to stick with it. Yeah, yeah. A couple of common obstacles to good problem solving uh, that that really pop out. I mean, one is that many organizations use a start with a good problem solving approach, good scientific thinking approach where they take time to understand the problem. Uh, oftentimes in A3 thinking terms, we talk about the left side of the A3, that's where we're understanding the background, current condition of the problem, our goals, some of the gaps. So organizations may start out with a good understanding of what the problem is. However, once they believe they've identified the contributors to the problem, and let's even assume that they've appreciated the social side and they've engaged other people, uh, we often see a default to uh, developing an action plan and getting into implementation mode instead of using an experimental mindset. So that, that'd be one uh, area where we uh, see people abandon oftentimes because you know, through that experimentation is where some real learning happens, where we you know, work through the uh, unanticipated barriers that we couldn't possibly see by just studying the problem. Uh, and the second obstacle uh, that problem owners uh, face is often working through their A3 thinking without the support of a coach. And, and, not, and the consequence of not having someone really supporting the coaching of problem solving through both the technical and social often results in us not understanding the problem, not engaging key stakeholders, not specifying 
really what we want to achieve and really not moving to experimenting, reflecting, adjusting. Uh, it often results in that problem owner kind of working it in a silo, so to speak, and no one is there really coaching them through the problem solving process, uh, which often results in incomplete thinking, uh, often results in jumping to conclusions ultimately, or not preparing on how to experiment. So we really feel like that, that connection between a problem owner and a coach is critical. Uh, and without that, our problem solving is often incomplete and again, doesn't result in us getting the outcomes that we want. It sounds like it's very important to have that extra set of eyes, that outside perspective to help you just clarify your thinking and, and perhaps make sure you're not overlooking something. So what are the characteristics that really make for, you've mentioned experimentation a couple of times. So what makes for effective experimentation? What are those characteristics? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And one we have people reflect on a lot. Um, we can all think of experiences we've had with experimenting, uh, whether that be as a clinician, uh, whether it's in high school or college science classes or other aspects of life. And you know, we often ask the question of, tell us about what are some key attributes of a good experiment? And people will talk about things like, well, uh, you know, we are testing a hypothesis. We've got to measure something. Uh, We've got to have some documentation of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We've got to reflect on what we're learning through trying. Uh, being open to failure, you know, that's a big one. You know, being open to test something that we're not sure and we may be even convinced that it may not work, but we're going to try it anyway because we've got to figure out why it didn't work. And just that adjusting and testing again. So, so as people start reflecting on just their past general experiences with experimenting with anything, we can start talking about framing. Okay, if, if we're really working through our A3 thinking and as we start moving to the right side of the A3 where we're really gonna uh, start experimenting, not just implement an action plan, there are some key things that we think about. Uh, you know, One is to really identify and be clear about what's the purpose and outcome we wanna achieve. Um, what are some of the variables that we're gonna be testing around? And, and, and in our work, those are typically around processes and behaviors. Those are the things that we find that need to be adjusted, uh, need to be improved in order to improve the outcome. How do we set short-term targets or goals for what we want to achieve? We've got to measure, we've got to document uh, uh, what we're doing and what we're finding. You know, one of the, the, the quotes from the show Mythbusters, I think, was the difference between experimenting and screwing around is writing it down. So, so how are we capturing, this is what we're gonna try. This is what we expect to happen. Uh, then we test it and then we have all kinds of learnings. Uh, identifying obstacles, uh, actually experimenting to address those obstacles and how do we visually manage all that in a way that allows us to really engage the people who are closest to the work who really have to be uh, driving this improvement. And that comes all the way from understanding the why we're doing it to having a process and a system built where they can participate. Uh, they can be involved in the experiments as well as the reflection and the adjustment. 
Mike, I have to tell you, that's been kind of a theme with many of the podcasts in the past year or so is the, the importance of learning from experimentation of failure and that sometimes you learn more from how you failed, but you got to write it down. You got to record it so you know what you learned so then you can apply it to your next version of your experiment. Yeah, yes. And, and you know, one thing that we've um, all heard and, and sometimes rightly so is we start to plan for an experiment. And we hear the, uh, the comments of, well, I don't think that's going to work. And if we're really using an experimental thinking and practice where we're going to test, we're going to rapidly test, we're going to study through our measurements, through observations, we're going to adjust, is we can counter that with, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is going to work perfectly either. Uh, but the important thing is we can't just sit here in a conference room and keep pondering about what we're going to try uh, that's going to work perfectly because that's never going to happen. We have to get to that point of, all right, based off of our understanding, our observations, our data, our talking and collaborating with people, this seems like this is a decent enough experiment that we can test and learn from. And, and that can be somewhat disarming for everybody. It's like, okay, we've got to be okay with this experiment not being a home run. But man, we're going to learn something from this that's going to really help us move forward. And that's the, key, the important part is how do we develop the system, uh, create the safe environment where that is the norm. Uh, you know, and from that, wow, the sky's the limit as far as what we can achieve. You know, the, there are two phrases that came to mind as you were talking is the analysis paralysis, right? And the uh, pursuit of perfection preventing you from hitting excellence. And yeah. those are very common. So, Definitely. so you know, you've talked about the importance of a coach. You've done coaching. You, you've been a resource. So talk to me about the, and, and our listeners, about the best practices for coaching problem solving, because that's different than being a problem solver. Yeah. And so, so can you talk to us about those best practices in your mind? Yeah, and one important one right out of the gate is having a coach, uh, having that role clarity of uh, someone who is going to have a role of supporting my scientific thinking uh, through a regular connection with me, someone who's not there to solve the problem for me, who's not there to give me all kinds of ideas about what I should do, but more there is in a role to, to support and coach my thinking. So having that person um, with that role clarity of, hey, I need the help this way, and we have a cadence set up about how often that's gonna happen, which early on in the problem solving process, we particularly recommend that happen you know, weekly or even more often. Uh, the second part of that is clarifying what the role of that coach is from the standpoint of, of they're going to best help me as a problem owner by asking me questions and expanding my thinking as the problem owner. And, and this is easier said than done, you know, no question about it. Um, you know, number one, due to our habits of wanting to tell people what to do, uh, because oftentimes we've been successful as we've been We've been promoted as leaders based off of our ability to tell people what to do. Uh, but number two, we're not being sure about how to ask effective questions. How do I show up in a way that's different from my uh, typical role of, hey, I'm there to be the idea person. 
So this takes practice, this takes humility, uh, but it clearly shows respect for people and focuses on developing the scientific thinking capability of the problem owner while solving the problem at hand. You know, that that's a great setup. So, so what little tips or advice can you give to our listeners who are starting to, you know, improving their experimentation and their ability to be a problem-solving coach? Because as you know, one of Catalysis's philosophies is we want to leave capability in the organization so it's sustainable, so that improvement continues when we've moved on and we're helping another organization. So how do we, how do we give tips to those people who want to become problem-solving coaches and, and their experimentation? And maybe around the problem-solving coaching. Uh, one is really around that role clarity. If, if I'm a problem owner, I'm working through a problem that my organization, maybe it's about reducing cardiolapsy or uh, other infections or falls or whatever it may be. Asking someone who is familiar with that A3 thinking, ideally, uh, to support me as a coach. So if that were the case, I, you know, perfect scenario would be that, Peter, you'd be my one up. Or even somebody who I trust and I know has some coaching skills like you do. Uh, and setting up that regular connection to have that one-on-one -on -one time, build a cadence, uh, and regularly have you provide coaching to me around my scientific thinking. And clarifying that role is, hey, you're best going to help me, Peter, by asking me questions uh, and, uh, you know, challenging me and getting me thinking as much as possible about uh, how I'm using the scientific thinking process uh, uh, and helping me uncover where there are gaps in my thinking. So, so that's a you know, great first step from a coaching perspective is setting up that relationship. And even if it is the, the one-up being really clear that uh, you know, you're best going to help support me through asking me questions and letting me struggle and think through this problem. Uh, so, so that'd be one. And once we set up this owner coach connection and relationship, uh, you know, I, I think that's a great starting point from a coaching standpoint. Um, around experimenting, you know, I think one great way to start is by having dialogue with your team that, hey, whatever, we develop and come out of this left side of our A3 thinking isn't going to be perfectly conceived. Uh, you know, talking about the fact that hey, we need to be okay with trying things, failing, you know, learning from those things that don't work and making adjustments. So once we set the expectation that we're going to be experimenting, uh, we don't think that we've perfectly figured this problem out we create this safe place for learning. And then once we have that, uh, using a simple method about how we can document, measure, reflect as a team uh, with key stakeholders, uh, you know, having a process that we start with that does that really helps then open the door for, okay, we. We're okay with and feeling good about the fact that we have to test things. And we have a simple system in place in which we can 
helps facilitate the running of our experiments, then we're in a good place to not just you know plan do and maybe stop and abandon, but uh, you know plan do really study and adjust and really go through multiple multiple cycles. Um, so so those would be a few pieces of advice about how you can get started from both a setting up a coach learner relationship as well as setting up the safe place and a, a simple testing methodology. And, and Mike, I appreciate how in that you wove in there the transparency and the communication within the team, because that's, in my impression, is you're doing a couple of things. One is you're saying it's okay to fail and we're going to experiment, we're going to try things. But the second thing is you're also teaching those members of the team that this is the thinking going forward so they can then apply it to their day-to-day work. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in healthcare in particular, we've got a great advantage to say, uh, how do we experiment around improving patients' health. Well, we don't just come up with a plan and then just say, all right, let's just implement this plan. We're good, we probably nailed it. Uh, you know, patients should be fine. Let's not even follow up and measure anything. No, of course not. We, we, we document what we're trying, uh, relating the gaps that we clearly see. We measure the results, you know, both in, in a patient's ability to increase performance through their vitals, through imaging studies, through other things. Um, and we make adjustments. I mean, healthcare is filled with cycles of PDSA that happen in organizations thousands of times a day. So ultimately what we're trying to do is to tell our people, we wanna use that same thinking when we're working on processes. We want to you know, engage the key stakeholders. We want to plan an experiment, but we're gonna test it. We're gonna measure it. We're going to reflect on the results uh, that we do all the time when we're working with our patients, and we're going to make adjustments. And you know that's how we're really going to solve complex problems. And uh, and being okay with the fact that that yeah, failure is really a necessity in learning. Um, love the quote of you know when when we think something's going to happen and something different happens, that's when learning happens. You know, that's the conditions for learning. Not necessarily every time that we think something's going to happen. Yep, happens exactly as we anticipate. You know, the learning really happens when well, something different happened. All right, so what do we learn from this and how do we adjust? And really, that's the cycle of thinking that we really want to create uh, when we're improving our processes. Mike, that's marvelous. And, and that's a great way. So do you have any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners? I'd say, Peter, that, you know, with both experimenting and with coaching, you know, being okay with trying and adjusting, you know, we're all in some state of learning and growth with problem solving and how we support it with other organizations. So, you know, you know, attending a workshop can be helpful, you know, uh, and other sources through catalysis. But in the end, uh, hey, we need to understand where we're at. Now, where we want to get to, plan our next step and recognize that the path from where you are today and where you want to be is full of experiments. That, uh, you know, doing that, going on that path with the support of a coach uh, is really helpful and in many cases critical. But, you know, we've got to be okay with the fact that uh, we need to experiment, we need to test, we need to learn. And really, that's what PDSA is all about. It's, it's you know, not about planning and doing and stopping. 
Uh, it's about really the study, the adjust. Uh, you know, there's there's different methods and practices that can be really helpful about developing those cycles. Coaching can be uh, particularly helpful, uh, but you know, being in that safe space where it's okay to say, "I need help," "I need a coach," uh, as well as being in that safe space to say, "Hey, you know, we're going to try something and it, and it may not work." let's learn through this. Excellent. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And I want to thank you all for listening. Go to createvalue.org slash summit to learn about the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit, June 8th and 9th in Salt Lake City and offered virtually. Stay tuned for more episodes designed to help healthcare leaders support their organizations on a journey to organizational excellence. Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens to learn more about how catalysis can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.